how is everyone's Thanksgiving? It's good. Busy. My brother came to town and when that happens, it's just like we're at my parents' house the entire time that they're here. So it's great and not great. The kids are like, yeah. can we go home yet? I'm like, no, we can't go home because I'm stuck here too. Rachel, I'm curious, do you celebrate Thanksgiving? That's actually interesting because so Canadian Thanksgiving is in October. And if you didn't know, Canadian Thanksgiving happened before American Thanksgiving. Most people don't know that. Uh, so usually, <laughs> usually in our house, we celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving in October, American Thanksgiving in November. Oh, so my both. husband's. Yeah, that's not great for me because I cook, so I'm not super excited about that. Two turkeys. Um, we did do that this year, just life. And then American Thanksgiving, we all had the flu, so we'd oh. be doubled down <laughs> on. That's not fun. Is is I, the food similar? It's like the menu, or is it completely different? I'm guessing there's yeah, fish I mean, involved is. somehow. Uh, no, usually though, I go to Canada and I bring back um, all my Canadian favorite snacks and. There's salt meat that I like and chips and cookies. And what, it's like okay, a, I knew I knew there was going to be salted fish or salted meat. I knew something like something. that was going to be involved. It's the Arctic up there. Yes. I um I think a lot about my Canadian friends on Thanksgiving. That's why I usually post Happy Thursday to them. Happy Thursday, so they don't feel left out when they see everything. I feel like Thanksgiving is a. I mean, we have the three kids, and I was excited for Thanksgiving, but I, then I was thinking about them. I'm like, why are they not excited? And it's really just like an appetizer for Christmas as far as like, yeah, they're with family or like, okay, we got like a day off of work, two days off, whatever it is, depends on like the schedule and everything. But I'm like, there's no reason for the kids to be excited. I was like, not disappointed with them, but I'm like, you know, as a kid forward to this, like, no, they don't care at all. As a child of the eighties, born in 1981, the exciting thing about Thanksgiving was the beginning of the Christmas commercials for toys. Oh, I kid you not. That was like my Super Bowl experience with ads. You're just like, okay, everything transitions now. And I can see what is the hot new thing that's going to come out this holiday season. You know, my buddy and garbage pail kids and all the really important toys. JC Penny catalog could be a (laughs) nostalgic thing. That thing was huge. Yeah. My kids' minds were still blown when I toss them a holiday catalog when it comes in. I'm like, Hey, circle what you want. They're just like, like, where did this is, come from? Isn't this old and outdated Why do by now? Do like, this? Dad, shouldn't I just make you an Amazon wish list? Isn't that easier? Go oh, just shut up and get notifications something. if the price changes, all this stuff. No, all right. don't worry about that. Let's get started. Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. I'm Kevin Oakley and with me today is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak, and the newest Ooh. Do You Convert team member, Rachel Starrett. Rachel, Exciting. first thing we have to, we have to, how do you spell your name? Because I, I see it three different ways. Tell us, tell us about this. I, there's a long, it's a long story, Kevin, that really involves my parents changing the way my name was spelt when I was really little. And then I came to America and got a green card. So my name is legally spelled R-A-C-H-E-L. 
Got it. Okay. okay. There we go. But there's a Y in there sometimes, depending on where you look. They, yes. <laughs> if you ask my parents, anyone in Canada, it's R-A-Y-C-H-U. Okay. Perfect. Well, welcome. We're excited to have you to uh, indoctrinate you via the podcasts. Thank you. Excited to be here. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. That's right. We, we promise minimal tears or jokes at your behest. Perfect. Minimal, not none. <laughs> so let's just jump right into story time. And um, I w- we'll take it. We'll let you, you know, I'm sure adrenaline's pumping. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm on this amazing podcast that two people listen pumping. to. So, Andrew, you want to go Slide. first just to give her time to. Yeah, I'll go first. It's in, in my story. I don't know. It doesn't have to be a connection to anything. So this is maybe mine's just a super casual story. So this Thanksgiving, I, want, I wanted to go all in on desserts. Who doesn't like desserts? I knew what I heard the menu from my mother. Like, here's the desserts. I'm like, oh gosh, that's disappointing. Like, I will, ha- I will fall on the sword and, and bring the good desserts that people want. But that required me to like actually learn how to bake, which I could cook anything. I used to work at a pizza place in a breakfast spot. So as far as cooking goes, like I'm not like it doesn't make me nervous. But baking is you don't just throw stuff in a pan and like make it work and like boom. Like it's chemistry, right? Like you have to have baking soda, baking powder, does different things. CO2. Is it fudge like? Is it cake like? All these things. But I'm like, I want brownies. My wife Lindsay, she really likes brownies, but she wants them fudgy, like dense. So I'm like, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I went down this rabbit hole of like, oh, you don't do any baking soda or baking powder. You can't just buy a box. Oh, shoot. Now I have to get this recipe. So it's like this long drawn out thing. Lindsay's like, what are you doing? It's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like writing things down, all this stuff. She's like, yeah. are you doing like dessert stuff again? I'm like, yeah. And because of all that science involved, it also means that brownies take way too long to cook unless you go out down some other devious routes. Um, you would think like I can bake cookies very quickly. Why does it take me an hour or longer to bake good? Brownies? I don't know. And I was doing things like layered. So I was like freezing Nutella to have like a layer that would melt and cookie butter. Like I went all in on the crisis. They're really good. Um, but it reminded me a little bit of, I guess, his connection marketing land. So I was like, well, what is a session? What is a user? What is a, the CTR? Like all these things were just like, oh yeah, we do that. We do that with that. Until I actually learned like, oh, this is what the baking powder or soda does. It reacts to this type of, whether it's, yeah. uh, was it uh, acidic or base? And then it creates CO2, like the volcano experiment, like when you're like a kid and like science, like, oh, that's essentially what it's doing. So it reminded me of that, like, oh, I've been doing, I've been cooking my life, but I have no idea what I was doing. And I'm like, oh, I bet there's some marketers in that position where like, they're like, oh yeah, the users in sessions, but they're not actually thinking like, well, what is that? And I'm troubleshooting something now with Julie on our team and Kevin with you. So I was like, why is this page have like tons of users or sessions? I forgot which one it is, but like the data makes no sense. But we have to get back to the basics as far as like, well, let's think about how this page works. Then we can actually troubleshoot. Is something broken? Is it not broken? Or is this just the nature of that page? Um, <laughs> fun stuff. I love it. So go get brownies. And that's, that's the end of the story. I'm also trying to furiously, there's a, there's an episode of my favorite TV chef is Alton Brown because he explains all the science behind what's happening. And I believe it's either the, the episode's called three chips for sister Marsha from the year 2000 season three, episode nine, or good eats the cookie claws episode 2003. Great. Regardless though, I think in this, in this episode, he creates five different versions of the traditional chocolate chip cookie. I see it here. And yeah. like, do you want a crispy cookie, a chewy cookie, thick, thin, like all these different things. And so that's, 
I think the really fun part, even with baking, comes into once you know that if I want something to be more chewy, I can just replace a certain amount of granulated sugar for brown sugar, which is going to absorb more moisture and keep the cookie to be more chewy. Like you can freak people out who are like quasi cooks be like, you can't do, do that. I'm like, no, I can't. Cause I understand the science of it. That's right. I it's can't okay. do anything. It's going to be great. Yeah. And it makes you, then it makes you think like, well, why would anyone make a, a apologies for my language? Why would anyone make a crappy cookie? It's not even that bad language, but like, well, as far as like, if you really like it this way, then why are you making it like then that brings us back to Malcolm Gladwell. I forget which book he wrote, but, um, Maskowitz who, who realized he was trying to invent the perfect pizza sauce. And he realized that there was only perfect or pasta uh, there's only perfect pasta sauces, not a perfect pasta sauce, because some I people agree. like chunky, some people like thin, some people like, like robust, whatever the heck that means. Chunky, medium, rare cookies. Yeah. That's the best one. Yeah. That's a thing. I don't know. There we go. That's Holy cow. Story. Secret employee number two just joined um, the Slack channel. I'm going to not be distracted by that, but <laughs> we got we, we got secret Where's team number, number one right here. I'm email, us. man. <laughs> it was distracting. All right, Rachel. I like it. How about you? What do you got for story time? So I'm actually going to piggyback on, uh, you had Jesse on a few weeks back and she was talking about, I guess, just follow up coming out of the woodwork from all of these sales reps, different industries. And it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago, driving in my car. It's like 630. My phone rings. I'm one of those odd people that answers my phone if I don't know the number. So I pick up. <laughs> yeah, that's me. And so guy on the other line sounded a little bit surprised that I answered, wasn't prepared. Like, oh, hey, you know, this is Steven from Toyota and Pinehurst. I'm like, okay. And he's like, I'm actually just calling to wish you a happy birthday. I was like, okay, it's really odd. (laughs) This is weird. (laughs) Yeah. And then he said, and by the way, do you happen to have that Toyota Tacoma? And I stopped for a second and then I hung up on him because I realized, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's been six years since I bought a truck there, never heard from him. Never got an email and it irritated me, obviously, but it yeah. just really made me think about, you know, the amount of time that we're spending in prospecting. And if we're not really doing it intentionally, it definitely can land the wrong way. Had I been in the market, had I been on the website, you know, probably would have landed differently. And oh, actually, yeah, you know, I do or I am in the market, but um, it was just a really odd phone call and to call and wish me happy birthday. It was just very odd yeah oddly personal yeah, it's not it, it felt it's not genuine right it's yeah, not genuine yeah. it he feels know you. icky in a way icky. almost like and, are you asking me out because this is really inappropriate like like why would yeah. you even go down this path of personal <laughs> yeah that's odd. my least favorite tactic of anyone who comes by the house or calls and they just want to ask you a question and the the psychology is true whoever's asking the questions is in control of the conversation but the idea that i have to answer you is a bizarre one to take when we have no relationship. And my favorite is the people who harass you over email and they're like, Hey, so I've sent you seven emails and you haven't replied to me is, do I need to find someone else in your organization? Or, you know, do I need to tell someone that you're not responding to me? It's like, what is this? So you're right where you're coming from and how you're doing it. And at the very least, he could have found a better thing to talk about and been more patient. Like mm-hmm. if you're going to spend that much energy hitting the phones, why not be patient yeah. and make a setup call? Or like, like the birthday of your truck. Like, hey, did you know your truck was actually manufactured the 1st of December? I know this is weird, but I love trucks. Da, 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 da. 
You're like, oh, this guy's weird, but maybe he wants to sell me something. Yeah, or just saying, hey, it's been six years since you bought a truck. I know this is the holidays. It's a busy time. I don't want to take any any of your time now. I just wanted to reintroduce uh, our dealership and myself. And um, is it okay if I keep in touch with you over the next year, you know, two or three times just to check in and see if if you're in the market for a car? Some other setup that wouldn't have gone, like, to me, the really offensive, it's offensive that he said happy birthday when you don't know him. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a way. And then the more offensive part is to switch so fast to, and I'm going to try to close something here. Right? That, like that's the part. immediate. Yeah. No, no patience in, in the process whatsoever. Yeah. That's, that's not, do we good. think it was his idea or a someone above him <laughs> who might oh, be older, gosh. like a dinosaur? That's am I being no. offensive now. I'm just trying it's to think. His, it's his out of touch manager or owner or somebody. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Call everybody on their birthday. There'll be something. Yeah, let's pull up a list of birthdays and call everyone and wish them a happy Ooh. birthday. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. For this. I All right. Well, too. welcome to the part of the show called Q&A with Rachel or Ooh. Hot Seat with Rachel. My goodness. Rapid fire. I'm actually going to go a little bit out of order here because I, I want to. What has surprised you the most? This is your first week as a team member here. What's surprised you the most now that you're on the other side of the curtain about what's going on over here? Honestly, I think nothing yet, which is surprising <laughs> in its which is surprising Take in it. itself. You know that nothing has really surprised me. Um, being on this side, you know, I'm sitting in on coaching calls, and I'm able to really track, you know, what Jen, Mike, and Jesse are saying. Everything's kind of clicking. Um, I'm sure at some point there will be surprises, but so far it's just really familiar. And so for my first week, cause it's been a long time since I've had a first week somewhere. So that's actually been really nice. I applaud, uh, the extended amount of break time you gave yourself between positions. Um, I think you were off the weekend. With the, flu. <laughs> With the flu, <laughs> With the flu, kids and everything else. Yeah. I don't know. You're that, that is fantastic. Okay. Jen collects dogs. What do you collect? What, what hobbies do you have? What do you do for fun? Please you know, tell not, me collect live things because that's that's a lot of work. No. Aren't you? I'm the opposite of a collector. I definitely don't collect. I like to spring clean often and I don't like to hoard. So I don't even keep my kids pictures and stuff from school. Terrible. So I don't I collect anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't even keep my kids. I guess my hobbies probably terrible reality tv that is my nothing box um that i put myself in and anything outdoors love outdoor activities love to be outside anything active awesome all right now for a serious one what was it like winning online sales team of the year at the nationals two years in a row i don't know that that's i mean the category is relatively new but even within categories, I don't know how often anyone wins something like that two years in a row. Whoever so, knows that, let us know. I I'm just going to go on record it, of saying never. Yeah, yeah I don't think it did happen, but definitely, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but really, it was the teams, and I was so proud, um, especially, obviously, the two years back-to-back. Um, and the second year, you know, they definitely had reservations about applying again. Like, mm. oh, we won last year. We probably wouldn't win. Um, but really just encouraging them, like, absolutely, you know, you should apply. You're an amazing team. You can win again. And they got the entire company involved second time around, which was really fun. I mean, everyone oh, cool. from sales rep to leaderships to customers, 
um, which was really great. So the entry was different. And, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, they were hard, you know, for every team. And I think it was just validation for them that even though things were hard, they pushed through and they were still able to perform at a high level despite the challenges. So that was amazing. Yeah, I think especially in those years that we're talking about, at what team wouldn't have amazing metrics? So it's clearly not just the metrics that were the reason for the team winning. And so I'll, I'll humbly suggest that having a great leader to encourage them has a lot to do with it since, you, you know, correctly, again, as a good leader, you're crediting the team and, and they do the, the lion's share of the effort, but they have to have the, the leader helping them uh, and protect them sometimes from the rest of the organization. Again, especially I'm just thinking through those two years, like kind of this, the safety bubble of, uh, that you have to create around the team with, with everything going on. Um, Pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and not saying you had like, you, your parents are like, okay, we walked to school uphill both ways in the snow, but you came from an on your lot builder, mm-hmm. tremendous amount of leads mm-hmm. as far compared to a production builder. And so you have, I'm assuming multiple processes compared to a typical builder, as far as like, here's our people who don't have land. Here's people who do have land. You just have a bit more yeah. different categories of lead types and then quantity too, because everyone has the dream of not everyone, but I think that is a common dream as far as like, I want to build a beautiful house on my land and have acreage and no neighbors. It'll be amazing. So, oh, sure. And I mean, I think, cool. you know, r- what really set us apart was the fact that the amount of education that still needed to be done during mm-hmm. COVID, you know, just because we had an abundance of leads, it doesn't mean that people understood what was involved in purchasing land and preparing it. And so, you know, we chose during that time to still really focus on the customer experience and education. And yes, the metrics were amazing, but that was really just a part of it. We stepped up and we were prepared and we didn't really change a whole lot of the importance of really educating every single buyer and taking the time needed to make sure that they were prepared and felt knowledgeable when they stepped in our door so that the sales rep could then take that person who felt empowered and then continue that momentum and that relationship. Definitely. Yep. Super. Pancakes or waffles? blueberry pancakes yeah all right it's okay you can stick some something weird in there like blueberries but uh (laughs) that's the right answer you can stay what's something most people don't know about you well it's funny because jen asked me this on a coaching call earlier today and i assumed her and jesse knew but neither of them knew so um obviously i'm canadian most people know that but i was a water raft guide on the chattahoochee river in georgia which they have classified rapids, so that's something most people don't know. And didn't you also backpack through Guatemala? I've backpacked a lot of places. I lived in Italy for two years. I've this lived in crazy. Bolivia. Yeah, I've been to, I think, 35 countries. So earlier you said, like, you know, anything outdoor, like you said it so casually, like, people are like, oh, she just likes being outside. Like, no, <laughs> this is... This is legit. You're on the, now, so you're way down yonder on Chattahoochee. Um, it's a different level of survival <laughs> skills, uh, but you, you've got yes, them. Still survival skills. Yeah. Last the one. Now is survival. <laughs> what are you looking forward to the most in 2023? Gosh, I mean, there's a lot of things for sure. Getting to know our builder partners now that I'm here, and really sitting in on these coaching calls and really learning how everybody does things, which is great. Um, but really having a front row seat to the contributions that OSCs are going to be able to bring to their organizations 
and the opportunity that online sales has to really be the MVPs of the market in 2023. I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm definitely one of those people that this market is just jazzes me up, super excited. This is what we are here for. So I'm ready. I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome. I, I agree. I, it's, um, I can't imagine going into this not having that online sales component and really I, I was just on a call with a, a top 10 home building organization um, who, who maybe doesn't use their, their online sales team the way that we would recommend. Um, and the amount of data that they didn't have, like they felt they had data because they had numbers on a spreadsheet, but they didn't have a group of people to go talk to, to, to add qualitative data to the quantitative data they had. And like, you can't go talk to 450 different salespeople and talk to them one-on-one -on -one about what's going on well, but you could have talked to, you know, 10, 15 of your core online sales team and gotten a really good feel of what do those numbers really mean? And I think it's, it's crazy. People don't have that. It is. All right. Well, welcome, welcome. And, uh, and just really excited to have you on the team. It's going to be, going to be a blast. Perfect timing too, because people won't stop calling us. So I mean, we, we're ready. We can use the backup. Um, my story time is that FUD, F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt is back as the primary tactic for everyone trying to sell builders everything. Stronger than ever. Like it's ridiculous because now people are using the same tactics of, well, why don't you do this? Or have you considered doing this? But this, but now they can point to, hey, are your sales down? And they'll ask it that way. Like, hey, are things a little bit slower? Oh, they are. Obviously. Well, have you considered X, Y, and Z? Or we helped this company do X, Y, and Z in 2021, and it blew off their sales results. So again, just a reminder, look at any case study, the period of time that that case study occurred for validity into how much can be attributed to, to the efforts that were made. And, and the second thing, uh, just a like, well, I'll, I'll get into it a couple different ways. So the first one is uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. One of the, one of the hottest things still um, that people like to talk about is the metaverse. Um, and I've got my Quest Pro $1,500 piece of garbage. Actually, the technology is pretty impressive, but the experience is garbage. Yeah. And so I go into Meta's Horizon World, which is their premier multi-billion dollar initiative. And I'm in the kind of town square and I've got my virtual avatar in this virtual town square hanging out and they've got meta employees who are like greeters and they try to pretend like they're your friend. But similarly, it's, it's awkward. Uh, like Steve from Toyota, you're like, Hey, how you doing here? Weird. You come here often. What's going on? You can do this with your hands and make a face at me. Isn't that cool? You can make a face at me. So it's already kind of like, this is strange experience. And then this guy pops on. And, and he's like, Hey man, uh, you want to buy a watch now? But that's what it felt like. It was like, <laughs> it just felt weird. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, Oh, I'm just checking this out. And he's like, Hey, I created this cool world. My company created this cool world for Cheetos. You want to come check it out? Like I I've eaten Cheetos. Um, sure. Let's just see. Sure. Like, so he opens up this portal Went to another run. dimension, uh, all, uh, Dr. Strange. We dive through the portal into Chesterville. Um, oh. and I've got a, a link here in the show notes, uh, that, that you can go check this out, but it takes me to Chesterville 
And the first thing I notice is that there is no one but this gentleman, me in this, in this entire world. We're in, we're in a, a neighborhood streetscape and there's no one else around. And he's like, Oh no, you don't understand. Like it's just an instance based thing. There's, there's hundreds of people doing this all over the world right now, but it's just you and I in this one for some strange reason. I'm like, sure, whatever. So we have to use, we have to throw virtual toilet paper on things to cause mayhem. We can okay. spray paint the Cheetos logo to cause mayhem along this street of four houses or five houses. But there's no one else there, right? There's no one else there. Okay. And you've got a magic wand that you can cause like tricks to happen if people were there on other people, but there's no one else there. And if your mayhem meter gets big enough, you can unlock the gate to Chester's mansion and vote to bring back one of three flavors of Cheetos. Okay. That's the entire Chesterville experience of which Frito-Lay is, they're like, they did this round of interviews and press releases of we're going into the metaverse and we're doing this thing. It was a complete, like it was on par with an experience I would have had in like 2002 in a, yeah. in a, like a virtual chat room. Like I'd rather was, be a lead to be able to vote. Like, here's all my, here's everything about me. If I really cared about like what flavor to bring back. Like, yeah. And I wasn't eating. Obviously I couldn't eat anything. It's a virtual place. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was, it was both. I felt sad for the guy because he's talking about how cool this is and here's all these things you can do. And he's telling me the way to cheat, to open up the gates faster. And he's, he's obvious. And I'm, as I'm in his shoes trying to feel uh, empathy for this guy thinking, Cheetos slash Frito-Lay probably paid a lot of money for this to happen. And he's just thrilled that I am a metric on some report that's going to come out at the end of the week that someone else went into Chesterville yes. and went through this experience. So he's like, this is awesome. Maybe he hangs out in town square just to try to pull people in nonstop. Like he probably went back and found someone else just to try to get the metrics up. Sounds like a terrible, I'd rather call thing. people and wish them happy birthday, try to sell a truck. So if you so watch better. the interview in the link that I have um, at the end of it, the senior VP of marketing for Frito-Lay, uh, a lady named Stacy, talks using words that have no meaning, and, and but they sound awesome about mm -hmm. how this is such a big move and allows for experiential marketing. And she's being interviewed by a um, technologist who's dressed all in black. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's like something from a, just a poorly directed like film. It's like a cliche. It, like it's all, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a meme. It looks like a meme. So all that set up to, to, to this, there's a builder that we work with uh, in Western markets who, when this new headset was announced, they get an email from their company ownership that says, in this, mind you, this is in the midst of about a month ago of lack of sales, lack of appointments. Hey, is this something we should be doing? Should we be thinking about selling a digital twin of every house we build? And creating a metaverse, should we be, um, how, how are we going to tackle this new opportunity to create sales? So, well, not bad, but, and she's I like, feel like help, that needs a sound Kevin? effect. Yeah. I'd help? be like, here, buy one of these and then come back after you play with it for a week or two. Yeah. And then it's, um, so, you know, that kind of leads me into the, the rounding out this half of the story time is I also got on several calls with an organization uh, just to have a better understanding of why, why so much talk about OTT geofencing ads? Why, why is that one of the things that everyone is being um, pitched and sold to? And we just saw, again, Andrew, another example yeah. of a builder who 
Um, someone went ahead and signed up for that. Um, not someone we work with, but someone else on the team of one of the companies we work with signed up for a package with an organization, multiple tens of thousands of dollars. Okay. And it's all based around the idea of we're going to use, and all these companies say this proprietary, um, AI learning, machine learning, and access to target people like no one else can. But then you look at the details of the paperwork and it's like our main partners are Meta, YouTube, Google, yeah. Bing. You're like, oh, oh, okay. So just Facebook and Google ads. Okay. That's cute. So here, here's why um, this stuff is pitched so much to builders. At the end of the day, if do you convert were to partner with this organization and offer this service, we would make 10% off of all the money spent and have to do absolutely none of the work. Do and if nothing. we were terrible people, we could get that yeah, spend to be the, high. Well, and, and so this is the, like, part of me is like, okay, we would never, ever, ever, ever recommend this as a core strategy or even something that someone right. should do because we've never seen any data in really almost any industry where this actually uh, proves effective geofencing in particular, since all the privacy adjustments from Apple. And I, I asked them that question too. I go, Hey, this, uh, this proprietary geofencing technology, anything related to the Apple privacy policy that would um, cause this to not work as effectively <laughs> and they're stuttering. Mm, no, no. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people don't hit the, hit the button that won't let people track. There's more people than I thought. Like, a lot of people still let Apple track everything or share They're all the data. Them. I'm like, oh sure. yeah, sure, 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 sure. Because Apple doesn't even frame the question like, hey, there's these enhanced features that could be unlocked if you turn this stuff on. It's like, do you want them to know everything about you in your deepest, darkest secrets? Click yes or no. Like, no, <laughs> I don't. So it's one of those things when you got to look at the incentives of, of what's being talked about to you. And I, as loud and clear from the rooftops. OTT and geofencing are code words for someone thinks that you are the sucker, that, that they're going to make money off of you. Period. End of story. Uh, because you just think about this company is willing to give us 10% for passing people on. And they're like, you can white label it and say you do it. We can do it however you want to do it. But what that means is if we can make 10% doing nothing, what's the profit margin on that company charging for the premium to, to offer those services, right? Like, yeah. And I know some of those, the, the salespeople for those organizations, they make good money and they're also in the same deal where it's a recurring commission yeah. as long as you stay on. So if they're getting five to 10%, now, there's 20 right off the top. Just in case this company is listening, I'm not disparaging what you do at all. What I'm, what I'm disparaging is the people who partner with you and don't tell people that's what's happening. That's what I'm disparaging. All right. Yeah. Let's take a quick transition with a word from our supporting partner, Opendoor. Opendoor is a digital real estate platform that helps you serve more customers with certainty, speed, and ease. As a builder, you can eliminate contingencies by giving your customer an instant home buyer on their current home so they can unlock the funds they need to buy their new build from you. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Opendoor. All right, on to the news, which... Yeah, I still have it, right? Oh, yeah, no, sure. did I get rid of it? Oh, no. Mm, no, yeah, it's gone. It's, I, want, I want a button to hit for the news, and I don't need to do it. It's only been a year, Kevin. Get with it. Pretty uh, First up, from Inman.com, NAR shuts down bid to end no co-mingling rule, Zillow reveals. So I I'm, I'm want to talk about this one 
just because uh, for some of you, you may not be able to read this article unless you're an Inman subscriber. But essentially, there is a rule uh, that's optional, but most MLSs enforce it that says you cannot commingle uh, different um, listings outside of MLS listings. So the example would be for sale by owner, um, builder plans, et cetera. You can't show that in the same place. And so what the article goes on to talk about is that essentially Zillow has been, been saying to the National Association of Realtors, this is a bad idea. It's not good for consumers. It's not giving them access to all of the information available. And we think that you should reconsider this policy. And so what the article goes on to say is that basically behind the scenes through committees and, and um, articles written and letters sent and discussions had NAR has been um, getting this, this feedback from Zillow that we would like this to be reduced because Zillow wants to be able to create, create more leads, not just for builders, but for everybody. And, and mm -hmm. you can just tell by the, framing of, of how the article talks that Zillow believes that they would, they would, they would win by letting the consumer win. Right. Why? Otherwise yeah. why bother with all the effort? And NAR said, no, <laughs> no, thanks. Um, so this is just, uh, it's one of those things. If, if you're, if you're using the MLS, uh, in a significant way, you need to pay attention to things like this because it does impact. I mean, the MLS itself, the primary audience is realtors and brokers. But when that when that data gets syndicated onto other places and their hands are are tied, so to speak, on how that can be displayed, you do need to be aware of how that how that impacts things and what you can do to try to work around it. So, talk to your uh, connections at those syndication platforms because they're. There are options like buying um, other advertising that might link to that listing that's harder to find because it can't be commingled. But uh, the word of the day is commingling. Commingling, but a great word. And just um, that would be the other listings on Zillow, yes. which no one really knows it's there, which is the point. I mean, people, I, we know it's there yeah, we're and all day, but if very you, easy to miss. It's not conspiracy theory, really. It's just uh, uh, why would NAR not want those to be displayed in the same place? Because it, it it's it's potentially saying, well, buy, why bother putting your stuff on the MLS, right? So it's, it's just a protectionary thing. It's um, so like old school. More, more than anything else, right? But, oh well. Um, next up is the Do You Convert Holiday Gift Guide Ooh. is live. Uh, we put it up just before Black Friday, and it has many of our favorite things. We'll do favorites at the end of the show. Um, but there's things that range in there from a... a like a, a two well, a completely free app called Stretchminder, um, yeah. uh, to a pair of hundred and fifty dollars slippers. That might be my fault. Definitely get those slippers. Are they are they worth it? I'm. You know what? I'm wearing them right now. Here's the here's the crazy thing about this this slipper. They don't. They look. You could wear those out. Uh, yeah, you you can wear them out. They have those for Florida, those of you who like. Sure. Uh, you can push down the back and just kind of wear it more like a a croc style or, yeah. or like a shoe style. The bottom is hard rubber. I've had these for two years now. Oh, they're, um, um no, I was mispronounced the name. Olukai. Olu. I have no, Olukai. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't buy them for myself. Uh, they're a gift. I mean, it's an expensive pair of slippers, but you can wear them as shoes, especially, um, I mean, I'm, and they do provide some level of support 
and they haven't fallen apart and they don't right. stink either. I don't know what happens with that. I'm, but. Th- I'm thinking second day summit slipper day. <laughs> That's what we should do. Yeah. And then yeah. I put, I put, um, if you, if you like my voice and me talking to my microphone, this is the mic that's on the list. So there you go. I like yep. it. Yep. I don't know what it sounds I was like. impressed. I already had some of the things on the list, so I Ooh. thought I was winning. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're, well, you know, you've always been progressive and on the edge. Most, most people who come from the sales background are kind of like, I use tech when I have to. And Rachel, you seem to, you seem to embrace it embrace more it. than anything. There is a, there is a, I think the thing that a lot of people should stuff on here. seriously be aware of is that for a long time, kind of the premier or standard webcam, external webcam to be used was Logitech's Brio cam. And it's like a $7,900 camera. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to go the, to a level up, not quite to a, a digital camera, full digital camera solution, like um, some of us that you convert use. A company called Insta360 has a webcam out that is uh, top notch. It, it really this is, is mine. This yeah. is Insta. Yeah, Insta. nice. It it does a fantastic job. You can have it automatically follow um, you. You can give it hand motions to change how it behaves. Uh, there's a whiteboard functionality. So if you're leading a team of people and you want to be able to write on a board behind you, um, you can cool. give a signal and it'll focus on the board uh, exclusively. It's it's a really fantastic. Uh, Piece of piece of tech for sure. So go check out the the That's holiday cool. gift guide, and um, we think you'll enjoy everything nice. on it. There's a money back guarantee from the people you're buying it from, not from us. <laughs> there you go. Uh, next up for Andrew, oh. a, a return to an article that he wrote back Ooh. in December of 2021, budgeting for Google Ads in 2022. A uh, an update or revision will be available by the time you hear this on the site for 2023. Right. And you know what the challenge is? I was we were talking internally about this. Is like I have our direct data as far as like the builders we work with, and what we do is not what everyone else does. Oh, that's true. So it's like it's not the greatest sample set <laughs> at all. Um, but yeah, there'll be the updated version. I'm excited to look. I'd have like the I have a Google Data Studio report. Oh, it's okay. We're, we're- when we're Lots talking about whether together, you but, were right or wrong, we're just going to go off of our own data, obviously, versus yeah. industry-wide. Because a lot of people's costs have gone dramatically higher um, when we start working with them and are, are doing analysis on that. What's, what's fun is I was right and wrong. So there you go. Okay, so what were you, what were you wrong about? Let's start with the bad news. Well, CPC, um, the cost per click, because that's the mm-hmm. biggest thing. It's like the expe- expectation that it would go up quite a bit. Um, it peaked um, in June. And this is the spend on that. So here's the sample size. This is almost $8 million in spend. So in like 7 million clicks. So like it is a pretty good sample size. It's just Mm -hmm. our management versus everyone's management. So we peaked in June. Then we kind of went down July and then we peaked back up in November. And then people were starting. So as our builders want to push more and more and more, it depends on the area, but sometimes we have to push the cost per click up just to meet the demands from like, hey, we need to get as many clicks as we can. Mm-hmm. And efficiency isn't the the priority. But when we have the budget, like, okay, the budget is 5000 per month, then the goal is we need to spend five and we need to have that be as efficient as possible. So the goals kind of ebb and flow and it's understood by the builders we work with and the marketing yeah. teams. And it's just, it changes throughout that. But now we're kind of on this trend to, to come back down because we're not having to push as much as we, which as much as we need to, um, so but but still we fluctuated from a dollar to a dollar twenty, a little over a dollar twenty, looks like dollar twenty five, um, parts of the year. But now we're 
on the way back down towards a dollar. So that's fun. Yeah. So, so we're going to stay flat compared to last year, but parts of the year we're up 15%. Parts of the year we're actually down two to 3%. Yeah. So what do you think for 2023? Early guess. Ooh, um, I would, I think it's going to be a similar pattern. It's going to be more like Q2 is when people will start to push more. But it's going to be so builder to builder, like depending on. Yeah. That, that My, I mean, yeah, it is going to be different. We, we were talking about this of. On the one hand, um, there might be fewer people vying for the same keywords as. Uh, some builders say I've, I spent all my money <laughs> at the Q4 of 2022 trying to scream at as many people as possible. And so I have to mm -hmm. kind of go slower into the new year. Um, I think one of the big factors will be how many nationals you have in your particular market. Yeah, I think that's the biggest Because thing. the nationals have so much scale that they look at what a, a cost per lead or a cost per sale is in comparison to what a single market builder. And they're like, yeah, that math works. I can spend... 20, 30, 40, and um, $60,000 a month um, on search for this particular geographic area mm -hmm. because if, the, the, the math okay. works out. And if you're the, if you're on the marketing team at a bigger builder and you're tasked with, here's your budget, I need you to spend it because, and we accounted for that spend. So it's not like you get a pat on the back, like, oh good, you only spent half the money. It's almost like you didn't spend all the money. What do you mean? We had half the opportunity. That we should have had versus maybe a right. different builder, private builders like great. Yep. You were aware we had communication, like we actually needed that half a million dollars at the end of the year yeah. for this, this, and this. And I so it's just I, yeah, I have nothing against structures. any of the big players at all. No, I worked for one for, for many years. Uh, a lot of there's a lot of great things that that those bigger companies are doing. The smaller builders we work with love to complain about said larger builders of how they're oh, they're ruining our market because they're Fire sailing their inventory and it's just screwing everything up. I guess the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is because the, those larger builders can, in certain markets, do something similar to the auction-based format yeah. of digital marketing. You know, again, you can complain about politicians ramping up ad costs because they're buying up everything that's available around the election. It's kind of the same idea again of if you've yeah. got a big fish in a small pond, national builder who's willing to spend the money. No matter what Andrew's predictions nationally are, it can really be a different story for you if you've got one of those big players willing to invest yep. in continuing to dominate that that marketplace. So yeah. there's other things you got to do then. If you can't beat them on on a flat money basis, you got to be a little bit more creative and put more time and energy. Yep. And, and if you're to, if you're running it right, they could be say someone who has a, a larger budget. They have to spend the money. They're just making sure that they're getting all the clicks they can. Let's say their cost per click is two fifty. You can be right there underneath them at a dollar fifty, dollar twenty, if you're doing it right. Yeah, that's the that's the caveat on there. So you don't have to. It's they will bring prices up. Maybe if they didn't do that in a different market, you could be at ninety cents or straight out a dollar. So a big well, difference. Well, yeah, but I guess the, the like Baton Rouge maybe compared to Charlotte, like that'd be Baton Rouge yeah. would be much lower. The final clarification would be is if you take all of Google's recommendations and you've got someone like that Ooh. messing up your marketplace, you're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, that'd be bad. Yeah. I think I have that's why are the recommendations getting yeah. worse. Not I mean, they are getting absolutely I don't know because if worse you by the month because they need more money, I guess. I guess, yeah, but it's it's like it's uh, what I'm trying to it's say. It's like short term me, thinking. It's almost proof to me that that artificial intelligence and machine learning is a bunch of baloney in most contexts. There's there's certainly are contexts where where it is working, and I've seen that too. But 
you can't just trust someone. Someone says machine learning is making recommendations or finding things because clearly in this case, the machine has been set to, to maximize revenue or it would yeah. not make the ridiculous recommendations that it is making. Yeah. And maybe it's, it is machine learning or is it, I still think so much of that has like a like sprinkle of quote machine learning. But other than that, it's, it's like an if else statements that's just complicated. Yeah. Like 100%. if X amount of people do this, do that. And maybe there's experimentation between we'll get, we'll give this recommendation to 10%. We'll give this recommendation to, to this 10%, yep. which one actually gets more revenue. And then it just is this flow of all these if else statements and it runs itself. And that's, but there's still a human behind the scenes of like, the goal is to maximize revenue per impression of a search ad. Yeah. Per impression yeah. each time it showed up. I don't know what's wrong with it. They got to get it better or just, we'll just, or just get, I think they just, just get rid of all the reps and they save all that money. That's really terrible because those people won't have jobs, but we're all hiding from them anyways. We don't want to answer the phone or their emails. So yeah, they're terrible. Next up from builderonline.com. Data and continual adjustment will help boost leads and impact results. Don't let market changes pull you back to prehistoric thinking when it comes to how your business approaches sales and marketing. Written by yours truly. Who who wrote this? this? Yeah, lots of really kind notes about this one from all different walks, sales managers, owners, um, saying that it's it's been really helpful, especially two parts to it. So uh, the, the main part, the main concept is the market's changing and and the just crazy to me how fast people are trying to revert to prehistoric thinking, like pre-2010 ways of, of reaching customers and getting appointments, leads, and sales. Like, let's get back to walking traffic. And uh, someone on a call last week uh, with Mike and Jen was suggesting giving gift cards to every person who walks through a home. Again, like as a legitimate, let's consider that strategy. And so my, my point is there's a, there are, we went too far in the extreme. And we've talked about that at nauseum on this, on this podcast of going too far in one direction when it comes to uh, demand and buy online and, and the, the focus on in the wrong places. But I, I was hoping we would moderate. And instead it seems like we've just gone from, you know, trying to live in 2040 all the way back to trying to live in 2010 and not yeah. realizing, Hey, it's, Let's just live right now where the customer is and where they want to go yeah. and where we can meet them. And so the four things were, you know, appointments being more important than traffic is, uh, is incredibly important to understand. You know, we only had appointments in many cases because we shut down the ability to be a walk-in traffic unit. But that, that's the one extreme. The other extreme is to say, where is all the walk-in traffic unit? Instead of saying, we need to rely even more so on our online sales team to set qualified appointments for us. Um, so that was point one. Point two is content over advertising. I like I'm that going one. to go fast because you can read the article and there's more uh, in all access about this as well. The the one I really am curious about uh, your take on Rachel is on demand service over business hours. Like the 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 number of conversations I'm hearing from sales managers about. Well, it's okay if after you know five o'clock these are these would be for people who have leads going straight to their salespeople. Like, well, yeah, they don't need to get back to them. Like as long as it's within 24 hours or um, they're going to, our, our salespeople are going to be off on Thursday. So we'll call them all back on Friday. But this whole thing was about fast response when online mm-hmm. sales started. And in particular, fast response, because we wanted to steal that shopper away from a competitor because there was a very limited number of opportunities in the market. 
Yeah, I mean, you, I think it's going back to nobody expects, and maybe now they do, but for the most part, people don't expect to get a response at 7 p.m. So it's okay that we don't respond until 24 hours, but that's really the point. You know, the point is the wow experience. The point is that we are the people who are answering that call at 7. And so, sure, we could go back to 2010 thinking in that regard as well, but that's not going to get us where we need to go in 2023. So it's, it's yeah. about the customer. It's not about us. And I think the more that we can put ourselves yep. in our customer's shoes, the easier it'll be. Yeah. And I, my point is that it's not, I think online sales will react to that, broadly speaking, faster than other parts of home building organizations. But that's the part that we should be pulling the whole company towards. Mm-hmm. Not, not that you're going to tell someone how the warranty department is going to solve their problem at seven o'clock at night. But the idea that we're not going to respond to any warranty requests uh, unless the house is burning down until the following day at all, or even acknowledge them well, is something that needs to be rethought about when you're going to rely even heavier on referrals uh, potentially in the coming year. Uh, the whole idea of like having a product like Novi where you can correspond with your customers in the construction process. Yes, creating a day of the week where you provide updates is fantastic, but also being able to say like, hey, my builder has this opportunity where I can interact with them. So again, I, yeah, I'm, I, I pause only because I can hear a lot of people saying, well, you have to protect yourself and create boundaries and all of that. But those people saying that I don't think we're all doing this job 2007 to 2009. That's, that's my, I don't know, unempathetic response (laughs) to the mysterious crowd thinking that right now. I mean, we, we have to change and we have to shift and that means a number of things. And it means really, you know, evaluating everything that we do and who it's benefiting and, you know, having somebody available, even a virtual person who maybe has an open schedule. You know, if you're not trying that, definitely something that you could try, but Mm -hmm. having someone available is most certainly better than not having someone available. Yeah. And I think the thing that really drives me crazy is this idea that we have people or most people listening have multiple people sitting in a box that's heated and cooled, but sitting in a box with a door waiting for someone to walk in. It's really bizarre to me. If you think about that in abstract, it's like, go sit in that house that we spent half a million dollars on. Especially if three people. people. So again, this is the part that doesn't make sense to me. And I'm having a conversation with myself, which is never good about this or, or with internally, but most owners that I interact with would say, I need that person to be there because um, last week we only had three units of walk-in traffic, but if that person wasn't there, I wouldn't have gotten any. That's kind of the, the response I gotcha. get. And, and I just don't, it's like, well, I've, I found good ways to talk people through that um, and try to help them understand. But you have, you have eight to 10 hours of a human being's time that you're allocating on the chance that three people next week might walk in. Is there a better use of eight to 10 hours of a human being's time who's trained and specialized with, with knowing intimate details about your homes and communities? I just, hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a, of a good analogy of that, but my brain's broken. <laughs> I'm like, it, it's like fishing the same spot almost. It's like, you're, you're just sitting there waiting mm-hmm. for the fish to come to you. Which I mean, marketing's doing things to encourage the fish, the people to go towards you. But that person still could be sitting there 
quite a bit of time. Yeah. I, I just, meanwhile, I, OSCs are just going around the place like, Hey, little fish, you need some help. Want some food? Like, let me get you. One of the beautiful like things, and I've them. said this for, gosh, since, since probably 2007, eight, when I went to Heartland, one of the great things about having scheduled appointments is that the same person showing up at the same time of, of day, like three o'clock on a Tuesday, but them showing up on their own as an unscheduled walk-in traffic unit or an appointment, they're the same person, more or less. They've done their online research. They have a set of questions they want answers to. They're there to uh, interact and, and see the space in three dimensions and, and all the rest. The most important shift is on the salesperson's side, where like half of the potential objections a customer would normally use of I'm just looking, we were driving by and wanted to stop and check it out real quick. They can't use any of that. And that means the sales presentation by definition should be better because you know why that person's there. They know why they're there. And I'd rather have two of those than yeah. six walk-in traffic units. Ooh, I have a bad question. Maybe we delete <laughs> this one. It's a, it could be a terrible question. I, I wonder, this is, I just, I'm having this internal dialogue. A salesperson, do they need to have be, ooh, I'm trying not to use words that are possibly offensive. Um, they can sell an appointment easier. They don't need to be as skilled in selling. They're, they're more facilitating the transaction from an appointment versus someone who just walks in and hasn't gone through the online sales. You're saying it's easier for someone to sell a home based on an appointment. Andrew versus. could sell more homes from appointments versus walk-ins. I've never sold a home in my life. Like the confidence, like if, if Rachel, your team set mm -hmm. the appointment, like, mm -hmm. all right, Andrew, he's terrible at this, but like he could probably get 10% of those. But if random people just walked in, he's getting 1% or 5% or something. I'm just thinking as far as like you could have, I don't know the end goal of it other than the sales team doesn't have to, they don't have as much friction. They don't have as much of a challenge if they've mm -hmm. most of their people coming in our appointments. So the, I mean, it's, it's training, starting at 0% or starting at 60%. Yeah. 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 In terms of trust and relationship building and, and connection. And that's, that's why the handoff process again is so important yeah. because without that, there's so much trust and relationship that's built with the online salesperson. Yeah. That, that, that becomes a challenge if you don't transfer it properly. They're like, this person's been so, and again, this person's been so helpful to me is what the consumer is thinking. I love Rachel. She's been so responsive. She gets me answers to my questions. And like 80% of what you've done, Rachel, is tell them things that are listed somewhere on the website that they could have gotten mm -hmm. on their own. Yes. So psychology. Mm -hmm. psychology. And then the second half of my question <laughs> or thought is like, you could then have more the, to me in my mind, I'm thinking owner, VP, director, whatever. Like I would want more, a larger online sales team because now the appointments are much more efficient. They can sell quicker, more quickly. Yeah. And so I could shift. I'm just thinking dollars. Like I have X amount for salaries, commissions, all the stuff. Like I'll just shift more over towards this way versus going back to what we used to do. Like we're chasing walk-in traffic as yep. far as the, you're saying real living in 2040. And maybe my thoughts is like a 2030 thought as far as what percentage goes. No, to I, I, well, I think the qualification is that de depending on who's listening and where this they are, really there are some loud, companies that are already progressively pushing their staffing levels for their online sales teams. 
to where the pandemic was driving the need. Right. And so those people might actually currently be slightly overstaffed or correctly staffed, and they don't need to keep growing. They just need to reduce the number of bad salespeople who don't convert, don't do the handoff process, don't use the CRM, don't follow any, any system or procedure. Right. But a lot of people are still way understaffed, have been for you know, five, six years, but understaffed. And so in th- those people listening, yes, what you're saying is absolutely true. If, if resources are limited, you, you might need to reduce the number of salespeople in favor of um, making sure that you're meeting all those people where they want to be met. I think that's fair, but it's, it's nuanced yeah. for sure. It's, yeah, it's very nuanced, builder to builder, all that. And it's the same with like a marketing team too. So I can give the marketing teams a, a bad time. Like, yeah. Kind of like you, I, I feel like marketers are more specialized or more, effective. Um, well, you can't have everyone who's ge- a generalist, if that's the right word. By the way, there is a fourth point to the article, which is intellectual honesty over distractions, but just go read it. This conversation is more interesting. There you go. Um, I had a call yesterday with someone who they had um, 139 net sales for the month oh, on a sales okay. goal of over 300. Oh, So that sounds terrible. That's like, what, 40% of your goal or something? It's not much. It's terrible. And they had, let's just say 20, 25 more potential sales to, to come through by the end of the month. So there was still some upside there. I said, hey, do me a favor. Go back, check 2019. What were your net sales numbers in November of 2019? Kid you not, it was exactly 139 sales. That's crazy. And so my point was not to celebrate and say, see, it's not bad. It is bad, but it's, it's not as bad as it feels. Because if you just drew a line of, of slow, consistent growth like of that company over the last 10 years, you would see this big, big spike over the last year and a half. And then you would see this reversion to the mean again of back to where the path has kind of already been on. And so, yes, they are still going to be behind where they should be in 2022, but by like 10 or 15%, not by 60%. So this whole like over-planning, over-staffing for the biggest surge in demand ever in, in new homes. I mean, you're going to have to make decisions across the entire organization of, did I over-plan? And when I did over-plan, how much did I begin to overstaff? And that's, that's why you're, you are hearing about reductions in force and people unfortunately losing their jobs. Is, but, but honestly, for, for the owners, leaders listening, that's your job is to figure that out real quick. Cause the other part of me that kind of thinks like, why is their sales goal still over 300 yeah. for the month right now? Knowing, knowing all that we know and, and them knowing that history, right? So that there, there's I, the goal to, to be hit the team to do it and the resources you're allocating. And all those have to be reevaluated pretty quickly. I agree. And as someone who just sound like I just said, fire everybody in the world, I think about the, the psychological impact as far as like if your team has failed every month, every month, every month, every month, because right. the sales goal is unachievable. To me, that really, I, I would, I would put money on it, maybe not a lot of money, a couple yeah. hundred dollars, that people leaving that company will be a much higher percentage to look for a different opportunity compared to another builder. That's like, yeah. hey, we're have to adjust our sales goals. We're being more honest with them, and so those people will stay mm-hmm. along. You don't lose talent because you're kind of like. You failed, you failed, but they're like, I'm not failing. This is just what it is. Yep. All right. To end on an up note, uh, the good news from FHFA is that the conforming loan limit values for 2023 are up on average uh, 12.2%. And so what that means as an example, 
Um, the new ceiling loan limit for one unit properties will be um, medium uh, one $1 million essentially, which is 150% of 726,000. So okay. um, link in the show notes, go check out the actual press release, but loan limits going up is going to be helpful. So um, 726 is the, is the new conforming loan limit an increase of $79,000 over the previous limit in 2022. And that just means nice. more people qualify for uh, a conforming loan, which is going to be lower cost to the consumer. So good, good job government doing something to help builders out. And I think there'll be more to come on, on financing programs if this current condition changes. And we've already talked about like bringing 40 year mortgages to being more standard practice. People in Europe talking about 50 year mortgages, the, we will find an answer if if things stay stuck uh, over time. It's a long mortgage. Not that anyone we've talked about the mortgages before, like how my age might be like. I don't even care. It's just a, what is the monthly? Because I just assume like I'll be moving somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, that's why it's yeah. Um, real quick before we get to favorites too, I, I made this um, post from uh, a Forbes uh, screenshot that that the headline that you'll read in most places would be something like this pandemic housing boom gains are deflating and potentially deflating at the fastest pace ever. What that's, what that's showing for those of you who are watching this in all access is, you know, home appreciation going up like this and then coming back down and it's just now going negative. So we've been growing slower, but we were still growing. And now we're just finally getting to the point where, um, we're going negative. And so what that means is that essentially since March of 2020, the average home still has appreciated by 38%. 38%, which is amazing. Absurd. I mean, I look at our house. What well, We had a recent sale in our neighborhood, which is my favorite thing. We have a house for sale. And I'm like, really? That's still sold for that much? $755. Mm-hmm. I did not expect when That was over ask. Um, where I'm at, of course, we limit to new homes. It's a great house, da da da. But I'm like, okay. But I, I'm hearing people, and I saw the folks at Abrazo did a did a live um, uh, social stream, kind of. Yeah, they they call it the them. state the state of housing uh, press conference or something, where they start just putting yeah. some of this data out there because a, a lot of sales managers have been telling us that they're getting pushback from customers of, I really like this home. I think you're your value or the incentive you're giving is great, but I'm just worried about selling my existing house. I don't think it's going to sell or I don't think it's going to sell for what I need it to sell to move forward. Mm-hmm. If they have 38% appreciation, they probably should not be worried about that. They're probably good. Assuming they're willing to do the normal things that you have to do to sell a home uh, in, in any market. All right. Favorites. Rachel. What do you got? Okay, so my favorite, I'm a fan of convenience in any form, um, especially when it comes to food. So recently I've been using my air fryer to make taquitos. So I just take warm tortillas, warm them up. You can put, I get the chicken that's already made, like rotisserie chicken, ground beef. And I just wrap them in the warm tortilla air fryer for five minutes. You can put, I put Greek yogurt, some lettuce, some hot sauce. Favorite thing, it's been saving me when I have limited time, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I've made them with egg whites. So my mm. favorite thing has been my air fryer taquitos. And you use corn tortillas? You're authentic. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Okay. Good. Yeah, always. I, can't, I have to do the corn ones. The wheat. Yeah, always. 
Uh, Kevin, corn or flour? I'm gonna. I need to know your answer to that. One. That's almost as important as pancakes or, or waffles. Well, to me, for, taqu- for taquitos, you can only do corn, can't you? But I, I'm, I I'm generally a flour tortilla person. Interesting. Oh, okay. But but it's okay. Depends on the. It depends on the dish. Well, can, I can't imagine eating a chimichanga with a corn tortilla. That just sounds weird. Right. It's anything, be tacos. I think I'm I mean, just like a. I'm like a street taco. Like mm-hmm. I want, I'll make like ten tacos, and it's equivalent yeah. to like one. But I used to corn yeah. tortillas. Little known fact, by the way, because I like to share things about myself that make my wife say, why does he tell people this? That's the best. I used to eat my age in soft shell tacos from Taco Bell until I was 11 years old. I would, oh. my parents wouldn't let me order them all at once, but I would, I would make a point to be like, I'm going to eat my age in tacos. I think you should try I it couldn't again. do it anymore after I would, I turned 11, but it would be a bad idea. I can see why. And I think back then they were like 29 cents a soft taco. So it wasn't a big, you know. Yeah. Now it's a little cinnamon things. Like a, a, I took the kids to Taco Bell. It took an hour to get our food. So it's now officially slow food. But also mm-hmm. for like a cheesy gordita crunch, which is just a taco with melted cheese and a gordita shell around it. Mm-hmm. It was like $3. It's supposed to be cheap. Unbelievable. Got mystery meat, mystery cheese, mystery. Like it should be not... But Not really good sour cream. That's how they overcome a lot of things. Really good sour cream. Yeah, it's all about the sauces or the toppings. All right, Andrew, what Still do you cheaper. got? Oh, well, we'll keep talking about food. Um, I've been making, I've made it three times now. It is a stuffed French toast, but it has, it's blueberry, brie, and white chocolate. This sounds so fancy. Just make it like you're making grilled cheese. Don't bake it. Just like throw it in the middle. French toast stuff, you know, the milk, cinnamon, all that. Throw it in the pan. Amazing. I will eat that every day. I don't, but I would if if I didn't have to make it. Much fancier than my uh, taquitos. There we go. <laughs> we'll have a cook-off. Let's do it. Um, my favorite is something that I think everyone should start doing. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, I'll share I'll share a screenshot of this here real Let's quick. It's it. called it's called the user is drunk. Um, oh, and I'm thinking yes. this might be a segment that we do in all access just for the members there. Um, but the, the, the copy here is amazing. Uh, this guy's name is Richard says your website should be so simple. A drunk person could use it. You can't test that. I'll do it for you. And so he's like, Hey, I don't really know your company, but I will drink until I become inebriated. And then I will use, use your website. I will record, um, myself and the site itself as I'm interacting with it. And then he's also, when he's sober, uh, he specializes in, in UX. And I just think Genius. Um, there, there's a, there's an example of some of his uh, work on YouTube that you can find. Um, but again, it's the user is drunk.com. And if you think that is something that I should try, by the way, I don't drink. Um, like I drink like alcoholic beverages two or three times a year and it lasts one, one lasts all day. So even just the process of me becoming drunk might be um, interesting enough, <laughs> but if you want to give that, if you want me to give that a try, uh, reach out, let me know. Uh, for this guy to do it or for you to do no, it. No, for me to do yeah. it. For you to do it. Oh, oh man. Yeah. I think someone should be shipping like a great <laughs> bottle of whatever that you think Kevin would like. Yeah, Who knows so there needs what to be a vote on mystery. what you drink. Well, and whose site do I review? I think that's, there, there's two parts of that. I think, yeah. I think you're going to get some very pricey bottles of bourbon for some reason from some people. 
my like, wife tried to get me drunk when we were dating and it didn't end well because she got way drunk and I was still not even feeling a thing. Uh, so lightweight. I'm not even certain what it's going to require. I guess we'll find out. Christmas Good present experience. for somebody. <laughs> it should be. That's All nice. right. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to become a member for free of Do You Converse All Access Community app for home builders and developers. Watch behind the scenes videos from the podcasts. Get exclusive postings and analysis from the Do You Convert team. Access to private hangouts, potential video content of Kevin using builder websites while inebriated, and more. Link in the show notes. We'll see you there. We'll see you next week. See ya. And welcome again, Rachel. Thank you so much. Marketproof Marketing is proudly supported by Opendoor. Visit opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn how you can partner with Opendoor to increase certainty, speed, and ease for your home buyers. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peake, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. View hundreds of articles, videos, and more for free at doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on social networks or in real life. Now get to work and make sure your company is market proof.